Thank you, Chris. It's always a blessing when you come, brother, and bless us with singing to the Lord. Everyone, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And I want you to focus and just imagine for a moment that we began reading this letter of Matthew. And we were reading it for a long time without having two years and a half of break. And just like any story that you've ever read, there's a climax. There's a, there's a moment where you know this is the best part of the story. There's a reason why the author builds up to this moment. Tonight is that moment in Matthew. Tonight is that moment in Matthew. I've titled the message, He Has Risen. Many historians have dedicated and studied, studied and dedicated their lives to the historicity of the resurrection, meaning the history behind the resurrection. Some of these historians, believers, some not believers. We as believers know that the authority of Scripture is sufficient. If the Bible says that Jesus resurrected from the dead, then we believe it because the Bible is God's word. And I encourage you. Every time you debate with someone about the existence of God and the resurrection, your point of reference is his word, not logic, as the primary mode of your defense. Because those that are going to be truly saved through the gospel presentation and the debate that you're going to have at that moment, the only person that's going to do that is God himself through the gospel, not logic. Logic will not save anyone. Now, logical arguments can embolden our faith. And it actually makes our faith that it, it's, it makes sense. It's not like we believe in a God that is all irrational. No. But it is not the primary reason that anchors us to our belief in God. Now, however, in God's grace, the, resur- the resurrection of Christ can also be proven not only by God's word, but through secular means as well. The following truths have been accepted by even secular historians to be true about Christ's resurrection. Truth number one, the tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered to be empty by a group of women on the Sunday following the crucifixion. This is a truth. William Lane Craig, a famous uh, apologetics professor, nowadays he's not too great, but before when he did this, The testimony of women in the first century Jewish culture, he says, was considered worthless. If the empty tomb story were a legend, then it it is most likely that the male disciples would have been made the first to discover the empty tomb. The fact that despised women, whose testimony was deemed worthless, were the chief witnesses to the fact of the empty tomb can can only possibly explain what? Like it or not? They actually were the discoverers of the empty tomb. He was basically saying, because the testimony of women at that time wasn't credible, if this were to be a legend, it wouldn't, they wouldn't have included women to be the first witnesses to see the resurrection. They would have been males, if the legend was true. So if it's not a legend, which is not, then either two things, the, women's were, the women were lying, or they really saw an empty tomb. The second truth, Jesus' disciples had real experiences with whom they believed was the risen Christ. What type of experiences? Well, he appeared to many after the resurrection. To his disciples, to his 12, 
Paul states up to 500 witnesses saw Christ before he ascended to heaven. His 11 apostles saw him after the resurrection, and guess what? They ate with him, they talked to him, they even touched his wounds. Now think about this logically. All the apostles died as martyrs. Died believing that Jesus was the Son of God. Would someone do this if it was a lie? Would someone die for a lie? They were cowards when Christ was being crucified. They were not present. But after, when they saw the risen Christ, they would never go back to that cowardice again. And they would give their lives for Christ. Third, as a result of the preaching of these disciples, which had the resurrection at its center, the Christian church was established and grew. Read this. This is uh, another excerpt. The explosion of growth happened mere weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus in the place where he died. The growth happened in the face of face of hostility, opposition, and persecution from the civil and religious leaders. If this was not real, like mentioned above, no one would put themselves through the ridicules, through ridicule for lies. Again, the Christian church is growing, it's thriving under persecution. You would think if people believed this to be a lie, it would die and it would not happen. But it didn't. It flourished. The Christian church grew. Thousands were added to the church daily because of the resurrection of Christ. Because they had faith that, yes, Jesus was the Son of God and he did raise. And he was raised from the dead. Now, these are evidences that are presented to us today. And there's two, of you, there's two lenses which you look at these evidences through. Some of you are believers in Christ. And you have the lens of faith. Everything that you look through this lens of faith in the Bible turns to Christ. For those that are not believers in Christ, you have a lens, a secular lens. A lens without, without the Bible, without God. So you would say if Christ would appear to us right now, in this very moment, right here behind me, those that are believers with the Christian lens would know he is Christ because the Holy Spirit that dwells in you and the Word has revealed him to us and we would know who he is. For those that are not believers in Christ, they would see Jesus and they would try to excuse and start to find another reason behind what they're saying. Oh, it's a hallucination. I probably had too much Advil. That's not Christ. He's not real anyways. Same Christ could be here, but because of the lens that you have on is how you will interpret that evidence. Our lens as believers is possible due to the faith that is given to us by God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, meaning the faith to believe is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Only because of His grace, we are allowed to see the truths of the Bible, and the gospel. And today, we will read God's inspired words telling us about the glorious truth of the miraculous resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Let's read Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. The Word of God said, says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And the, the woman, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. He has risen. We get to celebrate and talk about the resurrection of Christ twice this year in Easter and today. On Sunday, Emilio finished the events that took place at the end of the crucifixion on Friday. Can anybody remember what we talked about on Sunday? What was the rich man's name? Seth. Joseph from Arimathea. And he buried Jesus in an expensive tomb that was actually for him, right? And then who was there when they saw Jesus as they put him in the tomb? Who was there? Will? The women. What was the name of one of the women? Mary Magdalene and the other one? Mary. Yes. And what else happened? What did the chief priests went want? What did the chief priests do? The Jewish leaders, what did they do? Over here, what did they do? Uh, Kate. Yeah, they went to Pilate and said, hey, you know, this guy said that on the third day he was going to resurrect. So in order for this deception that he's the son of God and the deception that he's going to raise from the dead. And to make sure that no one steals him, can you send a couple of guards there? And Pilate says, sure. They send a couple of guards. They put a, a huge stone and they seal it. That was that happened on Sunday. That's what we went over on Sunday. Today we will look at the most glorious day in human history. The day that divided history in two. The day that Christianity is born. The day that the Father accepted the blood sacrifice for the sins of the world. We will focus on Jesus' resurrection. Specifically, we will look at two scenes at Jesus' resurrection. Two scenes at Jesus' resurrection. We're going to look at the empty tomb, verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to look at the risen Savior, verses 8 through 10. The theme, as we read today's lesson and as we study, something that I want you to have in the back of your mind as we're doing this is the following. The resurrection of Christ proves that he, Jesus, is the Son of God and eternal King. The resurrection of Christ proves that Jesus is the Son of God and eternal King. So let's begin looking at the first scene of Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb. And the story of the empty tomb begins with a morning checkup in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath... 
as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. After the Sabbath, we know that for the Jews, Sabbath was a Saturday. After the Sabbath means that it's a Sunday, and it's a Sunday morning because as, it be, as, as dawn began, towards the first of the week, we know that Jews, the first of the week for them, it starts on a Sunday. Sorry, on a Sunday. For us, it starts on a Monday. Not like them. And food for thought, trivia, if you ever wonder why do we meet on Sundays? Does anybody know why we as a church, as a Christian church, meet on Sundays? Anybody here? Why do we meet on Sundays? Okay, and but even before that, why did the saints call it the Holy Day? Day of the Holy. Why? Because Jesus resurrected on Sunday. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what. Cool. Okay. So what happened in the morning, Sunday morning? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. If you look at all the gospel accounts, there are a lot of Marys that are mentioned here. But there's only one Mary that is mentioned specifically in all four gospel accounts, and that's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' most prominent Galilean female disciples. It is said that she could have been wealthy, and she probably served Jesus and his, and his disciples as they traveled from uh, Galilee to Jerusalem uh, during the last Passover. The other Mary was the mother of James and Joseph and the wife of Clopas. So, why is it important that Matthew, again, reiterates that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there in the morning? Why do you think that's important? Let me ask you a question. Who saw them, who saw Jesus being killed from far away? Them, yes. Who saw when they were putting Jesus in the tomb? Who saw that? Xavier, yeah. And who were the first to see him resurrect? They, they, yes, they did. These women were the ones that did so. We mentioned earlier one of the reasons why God would choose women to be the first to see Jesus resurrected was to prove this is a historical fact. That if it would have been a legend, it would have been men, but it wasn't, it was women, therefore it had to be true. Because no one would go out of their way to specifically mention women as the first eyewitness, especially in that time period. But there's another reason. God takes all the glory in your salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Not the messenger. The messenger does not say the gospel saves. To have women witnesses to be the first-hand account of the resurrection is one way of God telling the readers and the people today, I am the one who saves. I will use what I will accomplish, even if humanity thinks it's not logical. Jesus, if you're going to make this testimony, you should have used men, not women. God says, I take the glory. And I want you to know that I'm the one that saves. And it's the message of the gospel that saves, not the messenger. Not the messenger. He takes the glory in salvation. So, another question you might ask, why were these women coming early Sunday morning? Mark tells us in chapter 16, verse 1, 
when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and, Sal and Salome. I don't know how to say that in, in English. How do you say that in English? Salome? Salome? I don't know. Bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. These ladies came on Sunday morning with spices to anoint him. The practice to anoint the dead was to basically suppress the stench after days for the, the dead corpse would be there. So what does this tell us about Mary and the other Mary? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. What does this tell us? Were they faithful and they were believing in God saying, oh, I remember his teachings. He said it eight times that he will die and resurrect. And we're going there because we believe in the word of God. And yes, we're here. Is that what they did? No, they didn't do that. They were there to anoint his body because of the stench to prevent it from happening. So what does that mean? It means that they were going to the tomb knowing that Jesus was still and would be dead. They just want to care for his dead body. Now we go from the morning checkup of these ladies coming to the tomb to the second part of the scene, the resurrecting earthquake. Resurrecting earthquake. Verse 2, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. The Greek word for severe is remarkable, out of the ordinary, in degree. The type of power that God could exhibit, as I mentioned last Wednesday, remember when, when God comes down to Moses in Mount Sinai, the whole mountain is trembling. Remember when we talked about Elijah, and as he was listening to God, God was talking to him, and the whole mountain was trembling. This is the power of God manifested in this earthquake. A more powerful earthquake than the one that we discussed when he died. But it mentions it's more severe. Severe earthquake. See, this is a type of earthquake that would signify victory over death as the Son of God was raised from the dead. And to take note, it's only mentioned in Matthew. The other gospel accounts don't mention this earthquake. But what happened? For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Some say that the earthquake happened because as the angel was coming down, representing God and his majesty, some say that, that it was the earthquake that helped move the stone. We know clearly it was the angel that moved it. We just know that when God comes and wants to show his power, he can do it through any means. And what means miraculously back to back than earthquakes that will shake the ground beneath you, literally. Angels are known to be throughout the Bible as messengers of God, messengers of God. You see, in Matthew, earlier when we talked, it was an angel who told Joseph, hey, don't divorce her. The child that she's bearing is from God. Believe her. We all would have wanted an angel to tell us that, right? We see Luke. It was Archangel Gabriel that came and told Mary about the birth of Christ. So then in this historical, miraculous event, yes, there would be an angel to proclaim this news before them. Mark and Matthew recorded to be just one angel. Luke and John mentioned there were two angels. But regardless of how many angels were present, all accounts mentioned angels. And what would this do? This would further validate to the readers of the letter, which were Jews living in Rome, and us 
that what just happened was an act of God because God was there. And he sent his messengers to tell those who would come. See, the Jewish readers knew angels. They knew. They read them in the Old Testament. They knew that they were approved. Uh, they, they came with messages from God. So what did this angel do? He rolled away the stone and he sat upon it. Why would he sit on the stone? He's just waiting for somebody to get there so he can say the message, right? That's the whole purpose of it. Now, some of the commentators mentioned this, and I want to mention it to you. Did the angel need to move the rock so that Jesus can get out? No. No, no. This is God glor- This is God's new glorified body. This is Jesus in his glorified body. Stuart Weber states, the stone did not need to be moved for Jesus to emerge. We know from, other, from the other Gospels that this resurrection, that his resurrection body was capable of traveling through walls and closed doors. Rather, the stone was rolled away so that others could look in and witness the empty tomb. It was rolled for those witnesses to go and see that Jesus was risen and he was no longer there. What was the appearance of this angel? What did he look like? Verse 3 tells us, and his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. See, the lightning description gets focused to the power of God displayed in sending one of his messengers. And obviously the white clothing symbolizes God's holiness and purity represented in his messenger as well. What's going on amongst this angel coming from the sky with lightning appearance and 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 white as snow and earthquakes happening what is going on at the same time takes us to the third part of the empty tomb scene the soldiers fear verse four the guards are watching all of this and what happens the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men if you take all the Greek, all the words in Greek, it would read something like this. The soldiers trembled convulsively with a strong desire to flee him and became like men who were lifeless. I don't know if, you, if it's ever happened to you, but have you ever been, been paralyzed by fear? Or when you dream, you're trying to defend yourself, but you can't because you're paralyzed? Have you ever had that dream that you're trying to run away and you can't because, anyways, it's... I guess that would be the feeling of you're paralyzed. You don't know what to do, but you're super, super afraid. This is a normal reaction when people encounter angels in the Bible. This is a normal reaction when you encounter the power of God. We see Balaam, the heathen prophet, in Numbers 22, verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. We see Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, in Luke 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. What about the shepherds who were shepherding the sheep when Jesus was born? Luke 2, verses 8 through 9. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Guys, this is a normal reaction for these soldiers to have. 
whether believers or not believers, you encounter the power of God, you're going to have fear because God is powerful. Now, I'm not going to get too much into the detail because Brandon's going to teach you this on, on Sunday. But these soldiers, they would relay this information to the Jewish priests. Let them know, hey, some angel came from heaven and an earthquake happened and there was, Jesus is not there anymore. And the chief priests, instead of acknowledging, hold on a second, Gentiles, Romans that have never read the Old Testament, did you just say angels? You mean like angelical beings that were white and thunder and you were afraid? Wait a second, I've read that before. And instead of saying, oh, we, we killed the living God, they try to pay him off and say, hey, keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody about this. That's what they did. And Brandon will go into more detail with that on Sunday. This manifestation of God's power leads to the final part of the empty tomb scene, the angel's dialogue. The angel's dialogue, verses 5 through 7. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Luke tells us that when the angel appears to the women, they also have the fear and trembling. Um, they also fear and tremble in that moment. Luke 24, verses 4 through 5 says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in a dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? The angels know why they're there. They, they think that Jesus is still dead. They knew that they didn't believe his word, that he would resurrect. So the angel continues and tells them, verse 6, He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. He has risen. Not his body has been stolen, or hey, I think you have the wrong grave. No, no, he has risen. The best words that you and me can ever hear in our lives today, he has risen. Why is it important that he has risen? There's three implications. First, it confirms that Christ is the Son of God. Romans 1, 4. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Number two, it's important that he has risen because it demonstrates his authority over life and death as the God-man that he is. John 10, 18 says, No one has taken it away from me, but I lay down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father, talking about his death. Last, it is because of a resurrected Christ that the gospel can be proclaimed, and believers can have hope in his name. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a famous chapter that talks about, all of it talks about the resurrection of Christ. And we're just going to go from verses 12 through 19. And I'm just going to summarize it based on time. In verse 14, if you read there, 
if Christ wasn't resurrected, then our preaching would be in vain. Our faith would be in vain. Verse 15, we would be false witnesses of God. Verse 17, we would still be in our sins. Verse 18, those who have died in Christ have perished because there is no Christ. There is no salvation. Verse 19, we should be pitied. If there is no resurrection, we have none of this. He has risen. He has risen. He is alive. But the next words are just as important as the first. He has risen just as he said. Why is that important? It's important because Jesus said he would die and resurrect, and it happened then that automatically means that everything else that he taught and said was true. What did he say? Well, he said he was the son of God. He said that he was the king of a spiritual kingdom. He validated the Old Testament. How did he do that? By always mentioning, you have, have you not read? Have you not read? It has been said. Everything, when he quotes the Old Testament, he's saying, that's God's word. Listen to it. And he Validates the New Testament when he says you will have a helper that would come, that will come, and will remind you of the things that you have seen. Look how many times he prophesied his own death. Just in Matthew alone. Matthew 12, 40. Or just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 15, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Matthew 17, 9. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Matthew 17, verses 22 to 23. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Matthew 20, verses 18 through 19. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And, he will hand, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he, be, he, will, ra- he, be, he will be raised up. Jesus fulfilled all that he said he would do. That's why we praise him for his resurrection. That's why we praise him. That's why it is important because it validates him to be the son of God. It validates him to know that what we read is God's word. Then, in the same verse, the angel tells the woman quickly, come, come, see the place where he was laid. It's, it's empty. And as they went over there to look, he's obviously not there. After the women go and check, then the angel gives them a command. In verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The angel commands the women to go quickly to the disciples. Why to the disciples? As we mentioned earlier, they will serve as the foundation of the church. And it would establish it to the power of the Holy Spirit on the message of what? Of Christ being resurrected. They needed to see the resurrected Christ to embolden their faith, to, to, to have this message clear, to preach it clear to the world. That Jesus is the Son of God, and He is the King of a spiritual kingdom, and you better repent and believe. They would finally understand and realize the real purpose for Christ, and would preach this truth to their death. 
Look at what Luke 24, verses 44 to 48 says. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Look, verse 45, what did he do? Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. That's why it's important that before you pray, every time you pray, if you're a believer in Christ, you ask Holy Spirit, illuminate me as I read your word. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You, the disciples, are witnesses of these things. That's why the angel said, go and tell the disciples that Jesus has resurrected. And why did the angel also mention Galilee? Didn't we just say that Jesus, whatever he said, became a reality and true? In Matthew 26, verses 31 through 32 says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead to you in Galilee. That's why Galilee, to fulfill what Jesus had prophesied. This concludes the first scene of Jesus' resurrection, the empty tomb. To recap, we went over the morning checkup in verse 1, the resurrection earthquake in verses 2 to 3. We talked about the soldier's fear in verse 4, and the angel's dialogue in verse 5 through 7. And this also helps us understand the theme of the lesson, which is the resurrection of Christ proves that Jesus is the Son of God and eternal king. Now, we're going to move on to the second scene of Jesus' resurrection. The risen Savior. The risen Savior. And this part of the risen Savior begins with the women's obedience in verse 8. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. They left with fear. As mentioned earlier, the Lord's power can have that effect over you. Fear of God. But they also left with joy and hope of seeing their Savior once more, their teacher, their Rabboni. It's funny that now, after a couple of days, they know they, that they would know where the disciples would be at. Because up until now, missing in action. No one knew where they were. But I know that this cowardice of the apostles during this time probably hurt them. And when they saw the resurrected Christ... They, they said to themselves, this would never happen again. And we know it never happened again because all of them died as martyrs for, for Christ. Which leads us to the second part of the scene, the woman's worship. Guys, this verse here, this is the verse that we've been waiting for. This is the verse that we've been waiting to read. This is the verse that when we start in chapter 1, verse 1, in his genealogy, and we start all the way 28, 27 chapters, this is what Matthew wants us to understand and know and the theme of the book of Matthew for his readers. Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. This is where Matthew tells us Jesus is alive. He said, He is who he said he would be. Jesus is king. Out of nowhere, he comes up and he greets them. 
And what did they do when they encountered Christ? They worshipped him because they knew, without a doubt, he was king. He was God. Why does Matthew mention that they grasped at his feet? To make sure the reader in Rome, and to make sure that you today know that this was a real Jesus, not a spirit or a hallucination. It was a real person because they grasped his feet and they worshipped him. This is the climax of Matthew's letter. He is telling the Jewish reader and us, Jesus is the true king who is in control of your soul. Worship him. This is the reason why he wrote this immense letter, to show you verse by verse, sign by sign, prophecy by prophecy, that Jesus is king, therefore you need to worship him. What will you do with this truth? We spent two years and a half under this truth. What will we do with it? Will you recognize that you are a sinner who has a huge debt to pay and place your faith only in Christ for salvation? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is the Son of God? Will you repent and believe in Christ? Will you bow and make Him Lord of your life? Acts 17.30 says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. It's on you. Two years and a half of reading this letter, it's on you on what you're going to do with these truths. Because you cannot say, you cannot walk out these doors and say, I never knew any of this. No, we went verse by verse by verse. God is good. In all the gospel accounts, when Jesus is revealed to the people who he is appearing to, there is worship. After the women worship him, Jesus gives them the command, which is the final part of this scene of the risen Savior, Jesus' command. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid and go and take, take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Again, he tells them again, don't be afraid because of the whole majesticness and holiness of God that produces fear over people. He, like the angel, told them, go and tell my brethren what has happened. Some commentators argue if Jesus meant go and tell the twelve, go and tell all the disciples. First Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 7 says, For I deliver to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Regardless of what he meant, if it was his twelve or the five hundred, we know that he appeared to many after he resurrected. And they would all eventually see him in Galilee. And it's important because in Galilee, we'll, we'll see next week, which is the last lesson of Matthew, we're going to see that here's where Jesus commissioned 
his disciples and maybe the other disciples that were there with the Great Commission. With the Great Commission. So to recap, we went over two scenes at Jesus' resurrection. The first scene, we went over the empty tomb. The second scene, we went over the risen Savior. And we know that the resurrection of Christ proved that he is the Son of God. And he is the eternal king that he said he would be. So how do we apply these glorious truths in our lives? Don't click yet, Matt. I'm going to tell you first, and then you can write it. The first application, it's simple. Believe in the risen Savior. Believe in the risen Savior. He is alive, and he said he will come back for his church. Will you be a part of that? Also, be compassionate to those that are not believers, just as Jesus was compassionate with his followers that didn't believe in him. Be compassionate. Number two, worship the risen Savior. Worship the risen Savior. Praise him forever that he offers salvation to those who repent and believe. Without him, we're nothing. Like the song says, all I have is Christ. We only have Christ. That's it. You can be the best person in the world and still won't be enough. God considers those deeds as filthy rags. You cannot save yourself. A lot of people think and have a problem with God choosing people for salvation and, 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 and loving them first. We love him because he loved us first. Don't think of people in hell. Oh, I wish I would have repented. I, I was just waiting. I, I wish he would have. No, people in hell are putting their fists and hating God. Just like you would be putting your fist in the air, and hating God because the Bible is clear. There is none righteous, not even one. If given the opportunity to choose God, none of us in this room, nobody in the world would ever do so. That's why salvation is a miracle. Because once God gives you the faith to believe, it opens your eyes and you see yourself as, oh my Lord, what have I been doing my whole life? Father, please forgive me. And that's when you know you're saved. Because he saves. And last and most important, I don't want to get too much into detail because it's the next Wednesday. Proclaim the good news of the risen Savior. Don't keep this news to yourself. Tell the world that Christ has risen and that one day they will be judged. Tell the world to repent and believe. Tell the world this good news that God loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So whoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We believe in a risen God. We believe in a risen Savior. He is alive, and he will come one day for his church. Will you be a part of that? I hope so. Let's pray. Holy Father, all we can say is thank you. All we can say is thank you for stooping yourself, humbling yourself, coming to this earth, 
to be among sinful men who hate you. To be at the mercy of human parents. To be at the mercy of humanity. To live a perfect life that none of us could have lived. To be accused falsely. To be mocked, scourged, humiliated. To die on that cross. To be forsaken by your Father. Thank you for doing all that for us. For a humanity that will never deserve it. Ever. But that is your love. That is your grace that we will never understand. So all we can say is, thank you, God, for the salvation that you offer all humanity. That you offer to all who repent and believe that you are the Son of God. And that you were raised on the third day. And that you're seated on the right hand of God. And that you will come back for your church. We love you. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.